Before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the Lord of his word. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for calling us to yourself, calling us to worship together, and then now as an act of worship to sit under your word. We know that in every act of service that we do in your name, um, in deeds of worship that we do um, in your name to you, we receive the greater blessing. So there's just a redundancy of, of praise. There's, there's a, a, an echoing back to you the good things that you continue to give to us so that no one can outgive you. So we thank you for the blessings that are ours. We thank you for a time to sit together under your word and and we pray that the, the reading of your word, that we'd give special attention to it, that we'd give special attention to the hearing of the preaching of the word, and that you would, as you have promised, your word will not return, return void. As the Puritans have said, um, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So we would pray that you would continue to take your people into a deeper relationship with you, that we might go out into the world shining the more brightly, and if there are those who who do hear this, who do not know you, or who are struggling and are caught in the snares of Satan in a different way, they'd be loosed, they'd be freed, that people would, would come unto you, that, Lord, that we'd go forth into this world with this gospel. We would not keep it for ourselves, but we'd proclaim it properly, um, in love to a dark world that is in desperate need of, of you. And we pray that you would now bless our time. In Christ's name, amen. So, son. Again, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The word of the Lord. May he write his eternal word upon our hearts. So there's a therefore there. And so it's always a signal every good preacher or student of the word knows. We'll say in, there's a therefore, what's it there for? And then this, therefore, is a little different, difficult to figure out exactly what it's there for because what it follows behind is this verse where he says, So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's therefore no condemnation. Well, they should say on Sesame Street, one of these things doesn't seem like the other. So what we have to say is, why is it there? And it's because what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 7, verses 13, 14 through 25, is this deep dive of looking into the work of the law that still takes place. If all I do even today is examine myself under the, the holy law, I still see this battle that takes place within me. But he's been, before he ever gets to any of this, he's like, justification is by faith alone. It's by grace alone. In Christ alone. It's nothing to do with works, lest anyone should boast. It's all of God, it's all of Christ, 
the declaration of our righteousness, not from works of the law, but from the works of the law accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross, whereby he gives us his righteousness, which we have to bring before the Father. You are declared righteous. He's been hammering away at that from every possible angle, and then he says, I just want you to know that even the Apostle Paul, we all need to be able to look within ourselves and say, my, how far short I fall. And then he says at the end of chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will release me from this body of death? Praise be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is what he's saying. And then he says, then we're going to talk about the Spirit. And this is what happens in chapter 8. And he says, you need to get this. This is what he's been saying all along. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The opposite of justification is condemnation. Now, I want to make sure you understand what the word condemnation means. Because there's another word that um, was used older. It takes it from the Latin. And that word, children, do not go out quoting this as if it would be the only word that you might hear today, is damnation. So, a damnable heresy is a heresy that, yeah, this is one of those words that children have taken and adults have taken and turned into a cuss word, as they have the name of our Lord at times. However, what we're talking about is the wrath and curse of God. What is due to our sin? What does every sin deserve? The wrath and curse of God. And that is condemnation. So if there's a condemned man, where is, that, where is he? He's in prison. He's awaiting his execution. He's been condemned. If there's a condemned building, it's waiting to be torn down. It's been condemned. And so the sinner outside of Christ stands condemned. There is a judgment, and the judgment is guilt, wrath, curse, condemnation, damnation, hell, forever. That's the judgment, and we're going to look at that. So this is the good news. For those who are in Christ, for those who are believers, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't believe in the condemnation of sinners, then, uh, you're, one, it's hard to think that you're a Christian, but you have to understand, it's like, this is the good news. This is what causes you to be able to, to walk. This is what causes you to be able to serve. This is what causes you to be able to praise and pray and worship and go about the Lord's business and follow him because there's no condemnation. No condemnation. So the point is, for those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation because those in Christ Jesus have been loosed from the law of sin and death. This is what he's saying in these little four verses. That for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation because those in Christ Jesus have been loosed from the law of sin and death. So that verse 4, you see, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it is, for those in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation because those in Christ Jesus have been loosed, freed from the law of sin and death so that... The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, 
Jesus came to justify and to sanctify. That's big words. Everybody, every Christian should learn those two words. Justify is the word righteousify. And if you want to take it literally, you've been declared righteous. So declare us, we've been declared righteous in God's court. In the judgment of God, the Christian, the moment he believes, justified, declared righteous. You will never be more righteous in God's sight than the moment you believe. You don't become more righteous or less righteous. Justification is an act of God's free grace by his spirit. And we're also given Christ to make us live holy lives in his spirit. That's where we start to get a little antsy. It's, it's kind of interesting because we do have to keep these two ideas straight and separate in our minds and our hearts. And it's been said, if you can just get justification and sanctification straight, everything else falls together under this. You're saved, you've been justified, you're declared righteous in God, saved. Sanctification, done already, so that you are set apart completely for God's purposes, but you're also being made more holy. You're being sanctified. That's what the word sanctified means, sanctus, the sanctuary, the holy place, a place set apart, a person set apart, behavior set apart. You're becoming more and more and more like Christ Jesus as his Holy Spirit is at work in you through the gospel, in his word, by his spirit, as his love is poured into your hearts and you're given the Holy Spirit. These two things are happening in the life of a believer. Justification has happened and sanctification is an ongoing process. Justification, remember, is the opposite of condemnation. So, the first point is there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the very point he's making. And it is amazingly good news, and John Murray writes that this is irreversible. So once that declaration has been made, there's no declaration that's going to be made that would say, you know, you're, you're declared righteous in Christ, and then later on it's going to be, yeah, no, not anymore. That was one time, not anymore. It's irreversible. There will never, ever be any condemnation for those who are in Jesus. So if you are in him, meaning believing in him, he will keep you forever. But what about those who are not in Christ Jesus? It sort of begs the question as we're, we're looking at this. What about the non-believers? So if you hold your place here, and we go to John 3.16, which is you know, one of the, the best known verses in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four Gospels, John 3.16. And we're going to read through verse 19. So this is, um, For God so loved the world, which I love that my ESV translation here, I don't know if they all have this, but there's a footnote there, verse 19 says, Or, for this is how God loved the world. That's what the word so means there. It's not saying, for God loved the world so much, it's God loved the world so. God loved the world thusly. This is how God loved the world. Now, it's not wrong to say so much or anything, but this is saying how he loved the world. How did he love the world? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that the believers in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now, there's our word. 
but it's actually the word here is a different Greek word. It means judge the world is the actual literal translation there. But it's a judge that means in a negative way. It's like you're judging somebody. It does When we talk about somebody's you're judging somebody, it's not that we're saying, hey, you're taking an accurate view of their opinion or something like that. It's like, no, you're you're being judgmental in a negative sense, and that's what this means. But I don't know how important it is, but it, it was important to me because I was looking at it, it's like condemn, but it's judged the world in a condemning way, but in order, so he didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not judged, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is judged, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then this is the judgment or this is the decision. This is the decision of the court. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so this is the judgment. There is condemnation. So when we see here in Romans 8, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Be aware that the Bible is not silent at all on what about those who are outside of Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ Jesus, there's judgment, there's condemnation. And so one, that should lead us to the hallelujahs. We are no longer under that. And it should also lead us to say, wow, we really need to be praying for our neighbor who don't believe. We really need to be doing what the Bible says is our responsibility in seeking to save the lost. What, what is it? Because we know the sovereignty of God in salvation. We know the Holy Spirit works in salvation. But, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How they hear without there being a preacher. They have to be those who go forth and preach the gospel. And then sharing the gospel of your life. Jesus says, let your good deeds shine before men in such a way that they see them and then do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. You don't just do good. I mean, there's a saying, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I've heard it not really by him, which is preach the gospel all the time and when necessary, use words. And you hear that and you're like, okay, don't immediately start correcting everybody when you hear stuff like that. But preach the gospel all the time and when necessary, use words. They're saying, let your light shine before men. Don't let your deeds contradict your words. You cannot preach the gospel without words. Because when people see you doing good, they will attribute it to all kinds of stuff. How do they know that what they, the reason, if you're supposed to be ready for an answer for the hope that's within you. And it has to be in Christ Jesus. It has to be this gospel, this good news that we have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and brought into his marvelous light, into the kingdom of light. And that there is salvation for those who turn to him. There is hope. God will by no Jesus. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and all who come to me I will by no means cast out. So there is the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. You have to have believed it, internalized it, and have it be your all. And then an unbelieving world can hear the gospel. Here's good news. The unbelieving world, if the Holy Spirit's at work, can hear the gospel from a sinner who's going to hell. If they preach the gospel, they themselves may be disqualified. James talks about this too. Be careful, preacher, lest you, after you've preached it, you've, you don't even possess, possess it yourself. 
It's like somebody that sells cars for a living, they don't even own one. Well, you can still sell them. Um, maybe a bad example, used car salesman. Anyway, that's where my mind went for a second. But you can hear the gospel even from TV evangelists who are just doing it for profit. Not that they all are, but if you have one that's just doing it for evil means and they do say a little bit of the gospel, the problem with it is somebody gets saved by hearing the gospel that comes out of the mouth of a false teacher and they follow that false teacher all along because they think, look, I got saved by him. This is why it's also important for us as believers to not only share the gospel in a, in a, in a winsome way, which we should be doing, but also we, we, everything we do and say should be permeated by the word of God. So when I first came into the Presbyterian church out of a different denomination, one of the first things I noticed was the talk was different in the hallways. I noticed that. I mean, there was different preaching too, but the first thing I noticed, the hallway talk, and I mentioned this to my wife, is if you notice, the talk in the hallways is different. Not that they weren't gossiping and fussing about people. They were still people just like us. But you kept hearing this a lot. Well, God is in control. God is in control. We'll pray about that. But all Christians say God is in control. But I can tell you, the Presbyterian church I went to, when I first went to a Presbyterian church, it was different. That That there is a comfort in the fact that God actually is in control of every single thing that happens. All things working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Everything. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can go. The, the understanding election, understanding I was chosen, understanding that the gospel came to me, a sinner in spite of me, and then this thing happens where God comes into your life, and then you recognize the fact that it's not because of anything good I did, not because of anything good you did, because of, I mean, John Owen, I think he, he's a Puritan, gets all the quotes attributed to him anyway, said, um, the only thing I have contributed to my salvation is my sin. Or the only thing I've contributed to my salvation is my need of it. And so if you recognize the fact that you have been saved by a sovereign and holy God, it just changes everything. You can, you can work for him. You can follow him. You can do things. It's not like you want to play on the football team if you're not any good and they're going to pick you out of kindness. Come on, you can be on the team, but... You know, sit over there. You know, it's not that. It's like, come on, man. You're, <laughs> you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. What are you called to do? You have gifts. You have talents. Put it to work. Praise God. Love the Lord. Love the Lord with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You want to do it. There's a thing that's taking place. It's what Paul's talking about. Is there something that's taking place inside the life of a believer that is completely contrary to the law of sin and death? And it's you're either walking, and he calls it walking in the flesh, which is that old nature, that old way of seeing things, that thing within you that still fights against God. And then there's the law of the Spirit. This Holy Spirit that's at work within you that has this draw, this call to God, this desire to be like Him, this, this new battle that is set up within the life of a believer. And Jesus does say that if they hated Him, that they'll hate you. So you have to be aware of this too. Being a man pleaser, especially in a fallen world is, is going to lead you down um, paths of, of, of condemnation in which you ought not be walking because you're not a condemned person. Why are you walking in that darkness? And, and Paul says, beware of that because Satan comes as an angel of light and he seeks who he can devour. He seeks who he can entrap. He seeks who he can catch in a snare and have you caught up in it. And it can happen. But the world is barreling as fast as it can right now, headlong into the wall of God's law 
and judgment and therefore condemnation. The world, the cosmos, this evil system, the, this twisted darkness, this present darkness, as Paul calls it elsewhere. The world is headed that way. God says no, and the world says yes. And they seek to, sh- to shout God down. So the church is supposed to say, God says no. And the world says, shut up, be quiet, stop it. You bigot, racist, homophobe. And they accuse us of lack of love and will increasingly, as they can get away with it, seek to put the light out. It's just what happens. So the response of the Christian can be, I'm going to get involved in that culture war. I'm going to get involved in that. I'm going to go in the world, and I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to, we're going to, rather than the world trying to do this, I'm going to get in the world, and I'm going to try to do, do that. It, it, it'd be like a Tennessee football player trying to move over into the Carolina team in order to help Tennessee to win. It's like, it wasn't going to happen either way. I'm sorry, I had to work that into a sermon somehow. And so, we cannot be a part of the world in any way or fashion. So what we're called to do is to let our light shine, to say, thus saith the Lord, even when the world is antagonistic to it, understanding that we have no condemnation in Christ, but Christ will build his church. The world will not be able to stop the church. Now I might be able to stop this church, that church, this person, or that person, but Christ's church will go forward, will go on. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are his ambassadors and we must remember the message. In Christ, there is no condemnation. There is even reconciliation with God. We can preach law, rules, righteous behavior, all we want, but the law cannot change hearts. doesn't mean there are not to be laws against things. I know there's a, a, a quote I've heard, I think it was about Martin Luther King Jr., who said... Um, the law may not be able to make a man love me, or the law may not be able to stop a man from hating me, but it can stop a man from stringing me up in a tree. And, and so that's what the, the law is supposed to do, the, the government in our world restraining evil and promoting justice. But we had to remember that if we're preaching law, rules, righteous behavior, that can't change anybody. It's the gospel, the Holy Spirit working through his word that can change people. And that's our message. So first, there's no condemnation. Second, as we look at um, verses 2 and 3 in chapter 8, he says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free. And then the reason I word, some translations use the word loosed there. That's what that word kind of means there. You've been loosed. You've been set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So what we're looking at here is, second point, God did what the law could not do. So, verse 2, the law of sin and the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of, de- of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by his flesh could not do. So what the law could not do, God did. So the law can't do it, but God could and did. And so this is the big news, that you've been freed, 
that God has freed us from the law of sin and death. And that partially is talking about the indwelling sin as a ruling power in your life. That is just the, the law, the way you're, you're running. It's also the moral law can be the law of sin and death, but it's not in itself sinful. It's only condemning because of what's within us. So first things under this point is that God did what the law couldn't do. Is why couldn't the law do it? Why could not the law do it? And it's because we are sinful. The law can only judge what's there. And apart from the Spirit of God and His grace, there is nothing good there. So the law will say, wicked, evil, condemned, that's it. So how did God do it? How does God then save us? Because he can't violate the law. It's his law. And so he tells us earlier in Romans, he's just, he's righteous, and the justifier at the same time in Christ Jesus. So this is the glory of the atonement, the glory of the work of Christ, propitiation, sacrifice, the fact of what God did in Christ Jesus And it says it right there in in verse 3, by sending his own son. Now, it's it's one of the few places, if not the only, where it says his own son. It's his son, the monogonese, his own son. We we know these things. He's the the eternal son of God. But we use this word, his own son. It's It's an extra little word in there that has to do with an intimate relationship. So if you have children, if you have a child, whether it be male or female, you think about my child, his own son. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a, there's a little emotional word put in there for this intimacy of relationship. And if we, when, when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, what happens is the Bible says you are now in union with Christ Jesus. That means you are in union with God's own son in this intimate relationship so that you are now in this intimate relationship with God the Father, in Jesus Christ. Now, I think we do tend to think, okay, well, there's a little, there's still a step removal. It's his own son, and there we're in there. It's like, eh, it's not the way union with Christ is working. Union with Christ is the love that God has for his son he has for you. Because you're in him. So we are his own children. He loved the world in this way. He sent his own son to bring many children to faith. And this is how he has loved us. And he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Pamoy omati. You like that? Anyway, some of you guys know what the homoi thing is. Ask me about Santa Claus and the homoousius. Um, I just threw that out there, didn't I? That's right. My favorite meme is there's a little kid sitting on Santa Claus's lap, and he looks at Santa Claus, and he says, he says, homoousius or homoousius? And Santa Claus goes, what? He says, you're not the real Santa Claus. So you got to know your history. Very funny. Very funny joke. Um, but he does this by sending his own son in this likeness of sinful flesh. So it's not just he appeared to be human. It's not what they're saying. But he wasn't sinful. He came as a human, and he came in the likeness of sinful flesh so that when he died, sin was put to death in the flesh. Because this is what sin deserves. Our sin in the flesh condemns us. So Jesus Christ was condemned in our place so that we might become the righteous. He becomes sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what he did was he condemned, God condemned sin in the flesh. So by sending his own son in the likeness of sin, 
sinful flesh and for sin. And there's lots of talk about what that means for sin. And it most likely is saying because it uses Old Testament uh, phraseology and things. It means as a sacrifice for sin. That he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sacrifice for sin. In doing so, he condemned sin in the flesh. And this is how he did it. A sacrifice was given for the one who did not deserve it to people who don't deserve the righteousness are given it so that God might be glorified in all things, which is the third point. Why did God do this? Why did God do it? The law couldn't do it. God had to do it. But why did he do it? And in verse 4, you get this in order that. So this is why he did it. So there's lots of reasons why he did it. But Paul's talking about one specific thing now that he's talking about. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Now what you could expect to see here would be in Christ. So those who are in Christ, the law has been fulfilled in them too. He said that. It's not untrue. This is a true statement. But he says that he's done this thing in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now that's quite an interesting thing. In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what he's saying is he did it for our holiness, for our sanctification, to make us more like Jesus in our thoughts and actions. He did this that we might obey the law of God. And then it's like, we just got through slamming the law of God. Nobody slammed the law of God. Show me an instance where he slams the law of God. He says the law is righteous, good, holy. It's us that are the problem. So what happens when God comes in and changes our lives? damning anymore. Maybe the law of God now is something that we want to take a look at and say, I want to please God now. From the heart, I have this desire. I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to love my neighbors myself. I have this struggle within me, and Paul's like clear about the struggle, but he says that he does this salvation, this justifying work in our lives. We're declared righteous forever and eternity before the, the courtroom of God and God's own sight so that the righteous fulfillment of law might be fulfilled in us. And I had this note when I was writing this stuff. It's like, well, there goes the preacher bringing law into it again. So the question is, well then, should we sin so that grace may abound? Paul's already covered that. He anticipates the argument. So if you're preaching the gospel correctly, this should come up occasionally. Are you saying that we should sin so that grace may abound? And he says, Megan, that's okay. No, never. Uh-uh. Don't even entertain that thought. Paul is very, he's very um, implicit. He's very, I can't think of that word. He's very, that's the very word. Thank you. I knew Adam was in there somewhere. He's very adamant that we are not saved so that we can sin. We're saved from sin. And we will continue to struggle with this. But you've been declared righteous. Now, let's talk about living in Christ. Let's talk about with the work of the Holy Spirit within us, so that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us. In Christ we're justified, in Christ there's no condemnation, and by his spirit with grace, the spirit of grace within us, we are drawn to become more Christ-like, and Christ never sinned. We will not reach sinless perfection, but 
we can do better. And that should encourage us not go like, wait a minute, quit laying the law on me. It's like, don't you want to be able to do better? I hope that every believer in here is going like, Lord God, I just, I wish I was better. I wish I could do better. Not so that you'll love me more, not so that I can get saved, get rid of all that legalistic stuff, but because as a believer, there's a new principle at work within you that says, I want to be more Christ-like, I want to be more I want to be more loving. I want to be better. I want to control my tongue. I want to control my thoughts. I want to control my hands. I want to control my speech. I want to be able to do for other people. I want to sacrifice. I want to give. You know, I want to do these things. But you know, there's all this. I mean, they do it so good in the movies. The little angel and the little devil. It's like, you know, it's like, no, you don't. You're not. One thing will be, why sitting out there telling lies? You know you don't feel like that. But I do feel like that. Oh, yeah, how come this, 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 and this? And I love that's why Paul gave us the second part of chapter 7 because it's like, Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm going to walk in the Spirit, and the Spirit is life. The flesh is sin and death. And I still do that, and I'm sorry, God, I'm far worse than I think I am. Your grace is greater than I thought. Preach the gospel to myself, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you get lifted up by grace. You get lifted up by the law. You go to a throne of grace, and it changes everything. But unto what? So you can be cool with how bad you are about everything? And it's like, no, so you can be at peace and you can try to continue to move forward after Christ-likeness. Ezekiel says in the Old Testament, God said to Ezekiel to say to the people, I will put my spirit in their hearts. I will put my spirit in your hearts. And to Jeremiah, he says, I will put my law in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts. That's what I'm talking about, is as a believer, the spirit of God has come in, and he's, he's, he's put the spirit in your heart. In your heart. He's, he's written the law on your mind. He's, he's, he's putting the law on your mind. He's writing it on your hearts. It's like there should just be this desire in a believer, and that's us. And, and he says it very clear. We're going to skip ahead. I'm going to do a little preview. Romans chapter 13, just looking at verses 8, 9, 10. So Romans 13, 8, 9, 10, he says, Oh, no one anything except... To love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And what has he said to us? That the righteous requirements of the law will be fulfilled in us. So you might hear that and go, ah, you're putting me under the burden of law. No, what's it look like? To love one another. And the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, in case you're missing what he's talking about, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We want to love. Rightly. The world says Love is love. And what they mean by that is, as long as I love whatever it is I love, love is love. It's like, well, what if you love, what if you love eating poison? Love is love. It's going to kill you. You can't, I don't care whether you love it or not, don't do it. That's not the way love is supposed to work. But that's what the world wants to say. They, they redefine the terms, and you have to be able to say somebody, when they say love is love, they say love is defined by God. Love is found in Christ Jesus. Greater love is no man but to lay down his life for his friend. You need to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 10, 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy. 
And then in 8.4, he talks about those who walk according to Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Those who walk not according to the flesh, according to the Spirit. To walk, and the commentator Jeffrey Wilson says, walking is voluntary progress. Voluntary progress under the gracious direction of the Holy Spirit. But I don't like that word direction. I don't think it says enough. Google Maps directs me in which road to take. But Google Maps cannot put in my heart where I ought to go. Where do I want to go? I mean, you might ask Google. I'm sure Google will tell you, hey, Google, where do I want to go? It'll tell you. But it's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit is within us, giving us desires of where to go, and then enables us to be able to walk as we walk in his footsteps, in his paths. Jesus Christ did not just come to justify us, to declare us righteous and send us on our way. He came to reclaim all that was lost in the fall, our original righteousness, our very own life, and on the last day, we will be made righteous, and our bodies won't just be um, received into heaven. God isn't, isn't it, it, they'll be glorified. God isn't just doing anything as minor as promising we'll never get sick. If that's the gospel, you'll never get sick. If you have faith, you'll, you'll never have hard things. You'll always have money. you have all this. It's like, if you come to God for money, God is not your God. Money is. If you come to God for health, God is not your God. Health is. Come what may, I'll follow you. Read Job. Read the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, and it'll tell you how to rightly order your thought, your mind, your heart when it comes to hard things and when it comes to good things. This Lamentations teaches you about this. Um, Proverbs, we really need to be more into these things so that we can understand what the promises for the believer is and how wisdom operates in this world. There will be a day when all these promises are yes and amen, and our bodies will be glorified. We will receive perfect salvation, sinless perfection in heaven, bodily perfection, better than what Adam and Eve had. They were able to fall. We will not be able to sin in heaven at all because of the nature of our glorified selves in Christ Jesus. And in the meantime, he says, just a little longer, just a little further. It can be hard. But I'm never going to leave you. And I'll be with you. And to live righteous for him is a good godly desire. But we have to remember, as we sin against him, even as believers, worse for us to do so as believers, but we remember for those in Christ Jesus, there's now no condemnation. No condemnation. And we've been set free from the law of sin and death that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not by the ruling principles of the flesh, but by the gracious, kind, loving guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And he's going, he demonstrates that to us again at his table, where he says, I am yours, you are mine, I freely and fully give myself to you who are in me and who have faith in me that you are not alone. That when you hear the gospel, it enables you to walk up the pews in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the blessings that are ours. We thank you for the gospel. These things are far more 
glorious than I have been able even to scratch the surface upon. I pray that you would help us to see and understand that more, how far Christ came, how far short we had fallen, and how far short we still fall in our, in our own outward, inward behavior. But help us to see that there is the Spirit of your Spirit dwelling within us, the Spirit of Christ, so that when we're fed, that the law, we know you tell us the law is spiritual, but we're of flesh. But you have brought us to life spiritually. So when we receive this, this bread, this wine, we receive these things. We receive you spiritually in the same way that when we receive, the believer receives the gospel, we're truly receiving you. And there is something that's happening by your grace. Thank you for this covenantal moment you give to us whereby we are to remember these great promises that they are for your people, for your church, who are united to you by faith. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.